Hey there, and thanks for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Burke Allen here from our studios in Washington, D.C., which unfortunately still consists of my kitchen table because I've been hunkered down and sheltering in place for the most part since March. Thank you wherever you are listening today, and thank you to our sponsor, Speaker Match. Dot com for making this all possible. Speaker Match is the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. So if you're a keynote speaker or you're a meeting planner, find one another at speakermatch.com. The year 2020 has been tough for many, many industries, perhaps first and foremost, the entertainment and live event industry. And so I wanted to talk to a veteran of that world who's been making a living making music for the better part of five decades now. He's my friend Ron Soule, and if you know the name Ron Soule, you may know it from National Public Radio's Mountain Stage, which is heard on a couple of hundred radio stations around the country uh, every weekend, and Ron for many years has been the musical director there, but he's got a pretty varied background in the music industry. We're going to talk to him about how he's dealing in pandemic times and his incredible career and all the folks he's played with. Ron Soul, welcome to the Big Time Talker Podcast. Hey, Burke. How are you? Thanks for thanks for uh, having me on. Well, you know, I figured you could squeeze me in today because you're not gigging a whole lot these days. <laughs> you have a, a tremendous uh, talent for understatement. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you um, you are a Southwest native. You grew up yeah. in Roswell, New Mexico. So I have to ask, what's the story in Roswell? <laughs> Well, uh, I tell you, uh, it, it, first of all, uh, Burke, it answers a lot of questions about a lot of the people that I went to high school with. Oh, uh, I see. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, when I when I went to my first high school reunion, we don't really have a hotel in Roswell. It's a big motel. But okay. It's a very nice one. But anyway, so you walk in the, uh, in the, in the uh, lobby and there was a desk. It was a V-shaped desk. And one down one side, it said with a big banner, it said "Welcome, uh, alumni Roswell High School." Okay, and then on the other side, it said "Welcome uh, National uh, uh, International UFO Convention." Oh my! So here's what I will tell you about it. Um, we didn't talk uh, really about it when I was growing up, but I I did when later on. I had a high school friend who was a daughter of uh, Walter Hot, who. Uh, was the information officer for the Army Air Force who released the story to the press. And I asked him about it um, uh, years later. And he uh, and I said, was this real? And he said, well, all I can tell you is that uh, uh, one day uh, that I was told it was a UFO and I released it to the press. And a couple of days later, they came back to me and said, no, no, take it all back. It was a weather balloon. So hmm. uh, that, uh, now that that was one one thing. And um Another thing was I, I, I used to play little league baseball, and uh, the president of our league also owned uh, KGFL, which was the local radio station. Okay. And he and he interviewed the rancher that you know where the that that the UFO cr- allegedly crashed on his ranch. A couple of days later, the FCC called him and said, "If you do another interview, we're going to pull your license." So uh, all I can say is I, I don't know exactly what happened, but whatever it was, uh, uh, they tried, they being the government, tried really hard to cover it up. What an interesting place to grow up. And, and when, in your, <laughs> when in your growing up did all this happen? Did this all predate you? 
Oh yeah, this is the year. I, the, well, the year I was born was the year that the uh, that the crash happened, and so you can you, you can draw your own conclusions there. Yeah, I think yeah. we'll probably leave that yeah. alone. Um, <laughs> My mom gets a little upset about. This. Now, is yeah. it true that um, that you were the student body president at your high school there in Roswell, New Mexico? No, not in high school. When I went to Eastern uh, Eastern New Mexico University, I was a I was a student body president there. That's even more impressive. So you were the student body president at your university, and also I read that, that you were considering becoming an attorney and having a real job all through college. Yes, uh, and much uh, to my father's uh, uh, disappointment, who my father was, who, who I have to say was a very talented singer and harmonica player in his own right, but he was a, in, in real life he was a banker. And he was very responsible. And after all his hard work of putting me through college, he, you can imagine his delight when I told him that, that I, I decided not to go to law school as I had planned, that I was going to, I was packing my guitar and all my earthly belongings in my car and driving to Dallas, which was the nearest biggest city and get, getting a job um, uh, playing at, uh, at uh, a local steak and ale. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that went over really well with with Dad the banker. Oh yeah, he was thrilled about that. He, uh, his, well, his 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 response to me, Burke, was do it until you uh, 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 get it out of your system. I'm still trying. I'm still trying. <laughs> Here we are after all these years. All right, <laughs> so you graduated from college and moved to Dallas when? What year? Uh, 1970. Wow. So that was an interesting time in, in American history. You'd just gone through the race riots in the late 60s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a big youth culture happening uh, all over the yeah. country. So sort of paint that picture. Yeah. What was the music scene in Dallas like in 1970? Well, you know, it was uh, now, of course, you know, this was like in, in college. It was coming out of the folk. I was always a folk uh, kind of a folk musician. But, you know, that the, the, the 60s, the music was just incredible. Just all these different influences were coming together. And uh, I moved to Dallas. I got a, a, a job at Steak and Ale. But, but, my, but the, the job that I really liked was uh, I got – I opened up at – uh, was the opening act at, at, at a little club called the Rubiot in Dallas. And I opened up for people like Ray Wiley Hubbard and Michael Martin Murphy and uh, – um, uh, it, it was, uh, that, that, that club spawned Jerry Jeff Walker and all these legendary Texas musicians and, 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 and the country and country and rock were coming together. Country rock really was, was starting to happen in, um, in Texas. And well, the other guy, I have to tell you, this is a little story, the, the uh, interesting story. The, uh, the other guy who was doing the opening acts for, uh, for, at the Ruby Out, we alternated uh, every other week, and for and we got we got paid seventy five dollars. That was not a night; that was for the whole week. Oh my! And um, and uh, his name was uh, B. W. Stevenson. Take uh, a letter, uh, Maria. Which, yeah, there you go. Which which uh, we called him uh, uh, Buckwheat back then, and uh, Buckwheat uh, uh, was uh, uh, he got discovered right there. The guy from the Columbia Records lived in Dallas and came in and auditioned him and. And gave him a record contract, and and he hired one of the other guys who was a regular at the club, a guy named Mickey Raphael, who played harmonica. 
and uh, in his band, which uh, about uh, uh, two years later, Willie Nelson stole him, and and he's been with Willie Nelson and still is to this day playing playing harmonic in Willie Nelson's band. So. So if you're just joining us, Ron Souls, our guest today on the Big Time Talker yeah. podcast, and, and we're talking about his early music career in Dallas. Uh, today, many people know you as the, the musical director from Mountain Stage, mm-hmm. the host and one of the creators of that show, Larry Gross, also from that era and also from that area. He grew up in Dallas. Did you guys ever run up against each other back in those days? You know, very interesting, Bert. Uh, he started out at the Ruviat as well, but I missed him by about a year uh he had already left and when i came in and i remember what what, uh, one of the guys who was running the club at the time looked at me one day and says you know you kind of remind me of this guy who used to play here larry gross i think you guys would really like each other i'm and i'm serious but it took me it took me about another uh, nine years or so to 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 meet larry even though we both moved to west virginia independently so when when you look back on your father's advice and you know you should have stayed in college and and you should have gone on to law school become an attorney there had to have been at you know some nights in dallas where you're making 75 dollars a week a lot of a lot of ramen noodle evenings there were there some times where you thought what what the hell have i done here you know you know burke those ramen noodle evenings uh followed me for quite some time uh, all the way to west virginia actually and, uh, but, you know, I never, once, uh, uh, you know, when I was filling out my LSATs, uh, my, my, actually, my, my uh, paperwork to, to take my law, uh, exam to get into law school, um, I actually physically froze up. I could not, I, I could not fill it out. I went, what's going on? And I realized that I, I don't, I really don't want to do this. Yeah. And I, I, I thought, well, what do I want to do? And I thought, I asked myself the most important question, the realistic question that any musician could ask themselves, and that is, what would I do even if I didn't get paid for it? You know, which turned out to be prophetic for quite some time because I, I did it and didn't get, did really didn't get paid for it. All kind of played but, out uh, that way. Uh, yeah, yeah, played out that way. But I, I said, well, you know, it's music. And then I realized. I, it's not that I wanted to be a musician, Burke. It's I realized that I was, and to be anything else would not to be true to myself. And tr- it was like the clouds opened up and the ray of sunshine uh, shone on me. And 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 I had that moment of lucidity. I, I've never looked back. I've never regretted my decision. And and it's been a wonderful ride. And it's it was really you know financially it was rough. It was pretty, pretty uh, on the edge for years, but it always worked out. And and I just, uh, I love what I do, and I, I just can't imagine. I mean, music has taken me all all over the world, and in every different strata of uh, social strata of uh, of society. And and um, it, it, you know, I have some, uh, beautiful friends, and I, I and to this day, you know, I just I, I I just can't imagine doing anything else or ever not doing it. Well, you know, you're not alone in, in the arts. There are lots of folks that spend lots of time struggling, whether they're they're painters or they're actors. There's a famous yeah. story of Brad Pitt when he first moved to Los Angeles for a long time, wore a chicken suit uh, to hustle up uh, diners at a fast food place. <laughs> Did you ever wear a chicken suit? Or what was your worst uh, gig that, that you had to do to, to feed yourself? I didn't wear a chicken suit, but I did do, uh, I did do uh, singing telegrams. Really? 
and, and I had to wear I had to wear uh, a uh, a baby, uh, you know, like a giant diaper and booties and uh, and a bib and uh, and everything and 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 uh, that was one of my costumes. And another one was a fairy costume where I had to wear leotards and this tutu and I had wings and and uh, I had quite quite I I I thought I was going to get beat up one night at a at a, a racetrack parking lot going in to do a singing telegram. I, I remember passing these two guys and one guy said to the other, what the hell was that? <laughs> so, but those were, uh, those were, uh, uh, so, so I, and every time I would make like $50 to do this. Okay. And every time I would go, I pull up with my car and I go, this is the worst gig is the worst most humiliating moment of my life i will never do this again i'm just going to do this once i'm going to get it over with and then this is the last one and then i would so i go in and somewhere and completely embarrass myself and i come back out and i go i just made 50 dollars. well it wasn't that bad you know the diaper was a little snug but yeah it's fine i you know i don't mind the booties and (laughs) yeah so uh yeah, so I can I can empathize with Brad and his chicken suit. And yet, you were still making a living in the music business, and and yeah. here you are in my home state of West Virginia, which I dearly love, and and you're one of those West Virginians by choice, and and I have to yes. to again go back to your father's advice, and and I'm thinking, okay, I'm Ron Soul, I'm a young talented musician, I'm going to strike out and make it in the music business. I'm going to head to Los Angeles? No. I'm going to head to Nashville? No. New York? No. No, I'm going to go to West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> so you want to walk me through that thought process just a little bit? <laughs> well, uh, Bert, let me let me just say I didn't, I was, I, I've never really excelled at, at, at planning. Ah, I see. You know, if you, uh, but what what happened is I, I, I lived in Dallas. I lived in um uh, I, I, I lived in Cincinnati. I lived in New Orleans for a year. That's a great really music fun. town. See, uh, great music town. And then I lived. And I was. Uh, I, I, I applied to be on the coffee house circuit, and uh, so I got booked all over the country. And and uh, I I had a job in Wheeling, West Virginia, at uh, Wheeling College, and uh, uh, and I had a couple of days off. And one of the guys I had met. In, uh, in 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 New Orleans, uh, a friend of mine named Bob Webb was living on a farm right out uh, in in um, uh, uh, in Putnam County, right outside Hurricane Culloden, West Virginia. And uh, I went to visit him uh, for uh, for a couple of days and just fell in love with West Virginia, the land and the people. And I thought, well, this is this is a beautiful place. And, I'd love to live here, but I'll never be able to make a living, you know, playing music here. And, uh, but uh, th- this place has totally proved me wrong. I had two uh, long-term original bands that we traveled up and down the East Coast and, and, and all over the world and on a couple of USO tours. And, and then this, this show, uh, Mountain Stage, grew up in my backyard and, and here we are, like thirty-six years later, still still doing it, and and with all the best, greatest musicians in the whole world, come and see us every week. I don't even have to travel anymore. They they all come to see me. So, 
So I, I, I love your description of the state. And as a guy who grew up there, I know why I love it and why it's in my heart. But when, when yeah. people ask you, you know, what it is about West Virginia that has caused you to, to select it, to be a West Virginian by choice and to stick with it for all yeah. these years, what are the first things yeah. that come to mind? Well, first of all, I have to say, in the words of Larry Gross, he said, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't born in West Virginia, but I got here as quick as I could. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, uh, but, you, you know, well, it's uh, two things, uh, two things that I mentioned. One is, uh, uh, one is that the land is just stunning. It's just beautiful. And I mean, I'm sitting, I'm living in, in the middle of Charleston, West Virginia. I'm looking out my backyard at woods. <laughs> I'm five minutes from downtown, right, you know, right. uh, I, 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 it, the whole state is, it, it is like that. And the people are, uh, will do, they will do anything for you. And, uh, I mean, it, it, God help you if you have a, a flat tire on the interstate because people would literally wreck their cars getting in line to, to they help will, they will line up to help you. I always tell people around that people uh, in West Virginia will give you the shirt off their back even if they don't currently have a shirt on. You know, <laughs> They'll run out to the Dollar General and they'll get you a shirt. And they'll, get, they'll get you one. That's right. That's right. It, it, the people are, are, are truly uh, amazing and, and uh, they, uh, you know, when I first started here um, uh, with, with uh, uh, we had this uh, this little commune that this uh, this group of farms that we uh, a bunch of us bought uh, land and together and a bunch of us were musicians and living on the farm and we the band grew out of that and 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 we started getting all these gigs and people said well you know you're gonna have to do all this cover music because you you because being a songwriter they they said you know they people you'll never make a living playing uh, uh, Playing original songs and uh, and 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 the people in West Virginia just just totally proved that wrong. I mean, it's funny, Burke. Just almost every time I've made a big leap, where it's whether it's mountain stage or doing original music or whatever, people almost always say, "Well, you know, you can never make a living doing this." <laughs> and yet here you and, are. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, one last West Virginia question. What do you think people get wrong about that state? Yeah, you're a well-traveled guy. You said you've toured all over yeah. the country, all over the world. Yeah. What, what do people get wrong about the Mountain State? Well, people kind of delight in the in in, in putting uh, West Virginia down because of the stereotypes. You know, the hillbilly. Um, uh, you, uh, you know, nobody nobody uh, wear, wears shoes, and we're all, all married to our sisters and. And, and and all those things. Well, you know, Burke, you as you know, you can find those things. Yes. You know, those stereotypes do exist, but it it is so much more than that. And there's, you know, uh, I, I mean, you get uh, some of the, the 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 most intelligent and and and. Uh, interesting and and, and 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 educated people I've ever met uh, live right here in West Virginia. You know there are great musicians. I mean, uh, you know, let's you know Bill Withers and Brad Paisley and Kathy Matea. I mean, I just uh, I, I mean just Charlie Charlie the great uh, uh, harmonica player Charlie McCoy. I, I, I mean just uh, the, the and, uh, and of course, I'm a being a songwriter. 
you know, people like uh, Bill Weathers and Billy Ed Wheeler and, and, uh, and legendary Hazel Dickens, legendary songwriters are from here. And very diverse. And, the uh, music scene is very diverse. And I think that's something yes, that surprises it is. people. You know, uh, uh, Billy Cox, who played bass for Jimi Hendrix, is a West Virginia guy. Yeah. You know? That's right. That's right. Fred Sonic Smith from the MC5, you know, was married to Patty Smith, a West Virginia guy. It's just amazing. It's it's uh, it's uh, it, 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 you're just doing uh, anybody, any place a disservice by by putting a label on them and just judging them by that. And West Virginia, uh, if you just look it just slightly beneath those stereotypes, you'll find an amazing culture. You uh, you mentioned, and I'm not going to let you off the hook on this. That you lived in a commune yeah. in in the hills yeah. of West Virginia. This is I this did. is when I first became aware of you. This is when you put together uh, with some other <laughs> folks the, the Putnam County Pickers, and that's right. And I can just imagine what that scene was like. Um, you know, right out of an R. Crumb uh, comic book from the the mid '70s. You know, the, you got the hippies on the commune, the picking and grinning. What was it really like when you put together the Putnam County Pickers? Well, uh, you know, first of all, we we, we lived in, in a, an assortment of old farmhouses, uh, tree houses, teepees, lean-tos. I mean, uh, it, it, it was, we were literally just a bunch of uh, college-educated, but hippies. We're back to the land. We, we, we wanted to, uh, the, there was a real draw at that time to be close to the land and, and, uh, uh, and, and and the land was cheap in West Virginia, and beautiful. And so um, we 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 were drawn drawn to that. And what was it? What was the exact question? You? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm straight. <laughs> you know, like a good hippie uh, would from uh, you know back. Like a good yes. Now what it was like? Yeah. yeah okay. The the Putnam County Pickers. We used to get together. Uh, we were all you know we were all in our twenties, and we used to we used to get together and um, uh, about two three times a week and with communal parties and uh and uh we uh, being musicians we would uh, we would you know get out our guitars and, and sing and play and and the bands had sort of developed out of that and we didn't i didn't really plan to be in a band in fact i resisted it uh, as long as i could but we got so many so many gigs and so many people wanted us to play that uh, here and there and that uh, i'll tell you what here's here's how it was Bert. here's how hard we made it for people to book us okay we we did not have a phone on the farm uh we uh this was pre-cell phone sure. of course uh the the only way you could get in touch with us was at the local post office the Culloden post office uh and if if somebody wanted to book us they would call the um postmaster at the post office he would uh, he would take a note, and when one of us would come in to get our mail, he would say, "Hey, listen, so and so at 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 Point Pleasant at the Mason County Fair wants to book you. Here's their phone number." <laughs> wow! <laughs> so uh, it, it uh, we we made it really hard on people, but we eventually got a phone on on the on the farm. It was installed in an old chicken coop. It sounds like this was somewhat begrudgingly that you got the phone to begin with. Yeah, it it was great though. It was romantic and it was hard. it was hard too. I mean, you know, we had to eat by wood and and the road got muddy and we had to hike through the woods with our groceries and 
<laughs> and as I mean, it gave me a, 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 a very strong appreciation for modern technology. But um, but it was also really, really just an incredible experience. The Putnam County Pickers uh, were were somewhat uh, typical of of artists in that era, in that you could have a really big regional following. And you could eat right. off that regional following, you know, it was pre-MTV yeah, right. and pre-sort of the nationalization of music. And so you guys were quite successful. What was the highlight of your time with the Pickers? Well, uh, of course, we did a, we did a, uh, we did a couple of USO tours. We did one to Greenland. We would went to uh, the Mediterranean and and uh, Ethiopia and uh, Turkey. Uh, we uh, we used to play in um, uh, we, we we used to play in New York. Quite a, quite a bit at the Lone Star Cafe, which was uh, billed as the largest country music uh, venue in New York City, uh, in Manhattan. And uh, uh, we, we opened for a lot of really great people there. We, we, did, um, we used to play the Wheeling Jamboree quite, quite frequently. Wow. And the guy who, who uh, booked that also booked the, um, the Jamboree in the Hills, which is 70,000 people, you know, country music bands and um, we got booked on jamboree in the hills and i and, and burke i don't mean we just got booked like second tier you know we were it's the, the 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 posters there on the very top said said emmy lou harris bill monroe alabama hoyt axton putnam county pickers wow <laughs> and, and uh uh, we we thought we, we thought we were gonna that that was our our big you know huge break and we were gonna be uh, it was all gonna be easy street from there and on but it didn't quite work out. That it's a good thing those folks had the fun. phone number at the Cloden Post Office to track you down. <laughs> really, no, we would have never gotten that gig. <laughs> and also, also uh, when we pulled up to the uh, 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 to the gate to park our brown step van, which we loaded with our equipment and all the band members the, the guy wouldn't wouldn't let us in and we had to prove we had to pull out our contract we, <laughs> we had to prove who we were and we thought well what this this sucks what is what's this so we a little later we understood we pulled up in the parking lot and about 30 minutes later comes emmylou harris's silver eagle you know on two hundred thousand dollar bus and then there's Bill Monroe's uh, uh, big Greyhound Silver Eagle, and then there's Alabama's, and then Hoyt Axton, the Honeysuckle Rose, the one the movie was made. That's out right. Of. It was an old, old, old double decker Greyhound, and then and then uh, that parked right beside our little our little step van. And uh, you know, you know, in, in New York City, when they when they built those huge skyscrapers, and there'd be one person uh, in a little convenience store that wouldn't sell out. You know, yes. so they would, they would keep the, there'd be this huge skyscraper, but in one little corner on the, on the first floor, there'd be this little convenience store. That's what it looked like. It looked like all these skyscrapers <laughs> and then our little, our little modest, uh, step van. But, uh, but that, that was, that, that was, a, that was a really fun experience. We, we followed Alabama on the, on the, on the stage. Oh my. Which was, which, which is not really. Which is very exciting, but it, it really isn't a very good idea. Nobody knows who you are. Well, you know, if you have Alabama as your opening act, that's got to say something, though. You know, Alabama opened well, for us. That's that's true, and that that's literally true. That's literally true. And and you said you know you felt like you're right on the cusp of things, but it didn't work out. What was the end of the of the pickers? 
Well, shortly after that, we, we had kind of come to the end of our, our run and uh, we were being kind of pulled apart musically in different directions and, um, and, uh, uh, and also, you know, I developed this thing called band years, you know, their dog years is seven to one, right. seven years to one. Right. Uh, uh, and when you're in a band, it's a, it's, it's a very intense experience. And, um, so I developed this, uh, band years, which is three to one. So in the pickers, we were together about seven years, which is in band years is like 21 years. So that's a long time to stay together. And, and then I, so, but, but, you know, I, I, uh, I took a year off after that, that and, and let the insanity uh, build once again. And then I, I put it together another band, which is called Stark Raven. And, and uh, you know, when I did radio in, in uh, West Virginia in the late eighties at WKEE, there was a, our midday talent music director was a guy named Rick Swan. And Rick Swan was a huge oh, yeah. supporter of Stark Raven. And I remember the album yeah, coming in. Yeah. I remember you guys coming in for interviews and you were on your way. Yeah. You know, it, it was really a, a kind of a cutting edge band, um, Burke, and, and uh, on Mountain Stage, I see uh, almost every week I'll see some band that kind of looks like what we were doing at the time because we we combined folk music and rock music and classical music and uh, we had uh, an electric violin, electric cello, uh, a rock and roll rhythm section, and three singers, and then also we had. Uh, uh, one guy who played dulcimer and mandolin, and we had uh, hammered hammer dulcimer and uh, you know acoustic instruments. It was a real blend, and we were just it was really uh, a really a very 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 good band, and I think the albums still hold up well today. But uh, we were just a little little ahead of our time, I think. And and Gene Cotton produced one of those albums, as I recall. Uh, no, it, he 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 uh, he contributed a, a song. Uh, uh, we did one of his songs. I forget which one it was, but uh, the, uh, there, there was a guy from uh, uh, Spanky in our gang. Uh, his name was Oz Bach, and he had moved to West Virginia, and he really became enthralled with us. And he, he he's the one that connected us with this uh, uh, guy we worked with in New York, and and we, we got to go to New York on a regular basis, and. And um, he ended up pr- uh, producing, uh, uh, start at least uh, at least partially produced our first album. Yeah, with with Stark Raven, um, you guys did again. You toured regionally and and had some other you know very very close calls. And when that one didn't pan out to be you know a big national breakthrough, right? Was, was there a time where you said, you know what, I I can't do the band thing anymore? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to sink or swim on my own. Yeah. If, if I'm going to be the the captain yeah. of the Titanic, I want to steer my own ship, so to speak. No, that's 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 very true. No, I did two two bands, and that was like uh, the second band lasted nine years, and that was uh, 16, 17 years worth of, of bands. And of course, in band years, that's well, you you know, it's a long time. Yes. Um, uh, I uh, yes, I I I I decided that that I did not want to do a, a band anymore. But you know, I started out as a as a solo singer songwriter, so it was pretty pretty natural for me to fall back into that. And and uh, uh, it, but at the same time, the last couple of years of the band of Stark Raven, this show Mountain Stage uh, uh, took hold. Uh, actually, Burke, just to re- just to step back for a moment, the pilot 
a mountain stage with the Putnam County Pickers. We did the pilot okay. uh, of that. So, but, but then uh, uh, I joined Mountain Stage. Well, with the, the two women in our in our band, Stark Raven, Julie Adams and Denny Bonet, joined. They were on the first mountain, real the first pop, uh, 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 mountain stage that was on the air. Um, uh, they were on the first one, and Larry Gross hired them on the spot. And um, and then later our bass player and then our drummer and then me, um, uh, 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 five of the six of us in Stark Raven ended up being the Mountain Stage Band. So uh, and that 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 was so that became a kind of a natural uh, uh, evolution for me. You know, uh, uh, it took me off the road about the time my daughter was born, which is very uh, very fortuitous. And, I mean, after, about, about, it only took about two or three times of coming in at five o'clock in the morning from uh, one of the Saturday night gigs and, and, and making my nine o'clock sound check at mountain stage to uh, convince me that maybe I should curt- curtail the, <laughs> the traveling a little bit. Perhaps it's but, time for a change. <laughs> but, uh, but that was, you know, gosh, that was, that was just a, a mountain stage is just, that, 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 what a what a gift! If you if you told me back then I could I could leave my house on Sunday and and, and drive ten fifteen minutes to a theater and be with some of the greatest musicians on the planet ev- virtually every week, you know I would have wanted to smoke whatever some what you were smoking. That's right. And, Share that with me now. But, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> But it's true. It's that's it's you know it, we we're we're a crossroads now and uh, and uh, you know uh, just you know gotten to see it, uh, meet meet and and, uh, and play with and and experience a lot of my, my my heroes. And how great is it you get to do that as the music director of the the Mountain Stage Band? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of the folks that you played with before in Stark Raven. So unlike. Band right. breakups that are very, uh, you know, acrimonious and, and people just don't ever right. speak again. It sounds like that was not at all the case. <laughs> it all kind of worked out, and you guys get to maintain that musical bond. No, I would say I would say with with almost with maybe one or uh, one or two exceptions in in all the people that I played with in the band, we are lifelong friends. And um, and uh, uh, brothers and sisters to me uh, were family. And uh, the Mountain Stage band, uh, for instance, uh, Ahmed, the drummer on Mountain Stage, was in the Putnam County Pickers and Stark Raven. So he and I have literally uh, played uh, uh, with, with with each other uh, uh, since uh, like 1976, uh, 77, something like That's that. That's crazy. Um, uh, Steve Hill, who's the bass player of Mountain Stage right now, and it was the guitar player in the Putnam County Pickers, was the guy I met in New Orleans in 1970. So, um, so I mean, uh, uh, I, I used to think that sounded kind of old, but you know, now that Mick, you got Mick Jagger and you know, all, yeah, all these guys, you know, I, man, those guys are, you know, you're a young whippersnapper I mean, yeah, in comparison. I'm a, yeah, I'm a young guy. I'm a young guy. Yeah. So uh, if you're just joining us on the podcast, our guest is Ron Soule. He's the music director of Mountain Stage. Uh, 
what, what does that mean? If, if you're not a musician, if you're just a fan, and maybe you've listened to Mountain Stage okay. on, on National Public Radio or, or seen the TV right. show, um, what's your gig? What do you do besides play backup guitar with some folks? Well, I play guitar, and I play harmonica, and, and, and background harmonies occasionally. I, I step out front and sing one of my own songs, but that that's that's kind of rare a uh, rare occurrence these days. But my re- my 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 most important gig is that uh, uh, when uh, let's say um, uh, for instance uh, December our next show is on December sixth. Uh, Daryl Scott, who is uh, an amazing singer-songwriter who's written uh, multiple hits for uh, a lot uh, a lot of uh, big time country people he's an incredible musician uh he, he's coming on the show and he's uh uh without a band and he's going to use the band so he, he sends me his album he tells me what songs he wants to use the band on uh, by ear, I will sit down and chart the songs, which means just basically do a, our own little system of uh, writing chords and symbols and so forth that, the, the, that all of us understand. Uh, and um, I, I, I choose the, the parts that, that each, each person will play. I send it out to them, to the band. They all do their homework on their, on their own. And then on, on, uh, on, uh, on Sunday, we get together at Soundcheck. And we have about, you know, 45 minutes with the artist and we'll play three or four, sometimes five songs with them. And uh, and then uh, we'll do that in soundcheck. And then about three or four hours later, uh, we, we go out and, uh, and we're live on the air and we'll play that with the artist. So it's my job to make sure that all comes off and uh, uh, and, and and that the band is I communicate with everybody in the band and, and keep them informed. And then every week, Julie Adams, one of one of our band members uh, does is featured on a song and we always play a song with her. So I'm, I'm, I'm in, in charge of making sure that goes smoothly too. Now I think for folks that aren't musicians uh, and, and even for some folks who are musicians, they would be amazed that these artists oftentimes, most times will walk out on that stage with you for sound check, having never met much less right. performed with any of you before. And you're able to lock yeah. it into a cohesive thing like that. Does it always work? Are there ever times where, where you just don't vibe <laughs> oh, and it doesn't come together? You know, uh, Burke, uh, because because we have played together for so long, and because I have uh, there are strength in numbers, and because I have ultimate faith in everybody in the band to do their homework, to be prepared. Ninety nine percent of the time, it works out beautifully. Um, there are, there have been some train wrecks <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, okay. but, but you know, here's the deal with live music. I, I explain it like this. Some people go to the Indianapolis 500 to see the car, the cars go fast. Some go there to see them crash. And, and, and if you don't have an occasional crash, then you know, then where's the where's the tension? You know, where's the uh, you know that where, uh, where's the drama? And and so, I think I think uh, we don't always get it perfectly. We usually we usually get the spirit uh, of it. But but yes, it's very common for for a, uh, uh, for an artist to come out, and the only person they have spoken with is me on the phone. So 
Uh, and these are but, big uh, names. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the folks yeah. that you've either played with or that you work with on Mountain Stage. Lyle Lovett, yeah. Sarah McLachlan, Judy Collins, Gordon yeah. Lightfoot. I mean, Bruce Hornsby, yeah. Richie Havens, yeah. uh, REM, the Nitty Gritty yeah. Dirt Band, Joan Vias, uh, Emmy Lou Harris, Livingston Taylor. Uh, I mean, those are some pretty heavy hitters. So are there are there knee-knocking moments for you whenever you meet somebody like that in person for oh, the first time? Are you you're God, nervous yes. to be on the same stage with them? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't really get nervous anymore, although I did in the early days. But there, but I mean, they're they're uh, uh, absolute uh, uh, heroes of mine. I mean, I met Paul. I was I I I, I was a big Peter Paul and Mary fan. Right. <laughs> my folky my folky background, and I, I met uh, 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 Paul uh, Noel um, uh, um, uh, Suki. Um, um, uh, and I was I, I I I was just a stammering fool because you know this guy was uh, he he he, I, he was somebody I listened to for hundreds of hours on, and, and uh, there there been there have been uh, people like that I you know uh, uh, Judy Collins uh, uh, I got to play um, uh, uh, last thing on my mind which is the Tom Paxton song anthem famous folk song. Sure. Um, which is the first song that I learned to finger pick to. And then I ended up getting to play it on the stage with Judy Collins, you know, and Tom Paxton. I played with him too. Just, just amazing. I, I played a, um, I was telling somebody the other day, I played a, um, uh, I backed up Mike Seeger, which is uh, uh, the uh, one of the Seeger clan, you know, yep. Pete Seeger, the family, Peggy Seeger. Um, uh, he was playing banjo. He asked me to play the uh, back him up, and so I got my guitar. And he said, "No, I would, I would like for you to play this." And he pulls out this ukulele, and he said, "Can you play this?" And I said, "Well, I, I guess I can." I can now. <laughs> you know? So, so we were practicing back in the in the uh, in the in the uh, 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 in his dressing room, and there was a knock at the door, and he goes answers the door, and Arlo Guthrie, who was next door the next dressing room peeks his head and he gives this little kind of bashful smile. And he says, can I play too? Wow. And he pulls out this ukulele. He pulls out this ukulele that he always carries with him. And so uh, I got to uh, uh, do a, a double uh, uh, ukulele accompaniment uh, with Arlo Guthrie. <laughs> so there have to be times like that where you kind of look around to your left or to your right and you go, I can't oh, believe this is happening to me. I cannot believe this. You know, when I lived in New Orleans, one of my favorite songs was uh, Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues. And it was uh, uh, Danny O'Keefe was the writer and singer. And when Danny O'Keefe came on to a show to perform him on stage, I got to play the guitar solo from Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues with Danny O'Keefe. And, and uh, I mean, th- those are... Those are like really amazing moments for me. Yeah. When when you do Mountain Stage now in 2020, mm-hmm. you guys had to take a long uh-huh. break, and, and you've finally been able to come back and bring the shows back. But it's my understanding you're doing those with, with no audience or very little audience. Yeah. Does that change the yeah. dynamic when, when you don't get that instant feedback from the audience? Well, it's definitely different. You know, uh, 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 I guess fortunately or unfortunately for all of us in the music industry, We've discovered right off, you know, the bat that that oh, the only way we were going to get to perform was virtually, 
And so all of us have been doing these shows without audiences for months and months and months. So it, it has prepared us for this. And uh, it's still just an absolute gas to do live music with, with the people in my band and with these fabulous artists. The uh, last couple of weeks, we've gotten to play with Chuck Prophet and Susan Warner and Kim Ritchie and um, uh, just amazing, amazing artists. But, it, you know, when you finish this big song and normally you would just, you know, just bring the house down and then there's a smattering of applause. Right. <laughs> you know, you know it, it, it brings you back to the reality that we're in. But, but you know, I think people, uh, hopefully that, people will uh, still uh, uh, enjoy what we're doing and feel the impact, even though Mountain Stage has been known for, uh, you know, for that, that, that one of our trademarks is it's, it's, it's done live before an audience, you know, without a net. And now it's done live before the, the janitors without a net. So uh, <laughs> whoever's cleaning up the cultural center. <laughs> That's about it. You know, we, we get some of the people in the band or some of the guests to set out the audience in between acts. But, you know, that's that's where the smattering of applause comes from. So you are probably one of, uh, I don't know, I could count them on, on two hands and, and still have fingers left. One of the very few number of people in that state, though, that make a full-time living uh, playing uh-huh. music. And you've been doing it for a long time. I wonder what, what's left to prove for you. What do you still want to accomplish? Oh, well, you know, it, to, to me, Burke, it's the doing of it that's the joy. You know, it's it's the, uh, uh, it, it, you know, I have, since since the pandem- pandemic uh, ha- happened, uh, I switched gears and went into my songwriting mode because what a songwriter needs is unstructured time. Well, guess what? Got a lot there's, of that there's now. Something, I got a lot of that. So I... I uh, I have I had some ideas of album concepts in my mind. So uh, I enlisted my good friend and your good friend too, John Wickstrom, uh, who I've written many, many songs with. And, and, and I asked him if he would like to uh, help me uh, create material for these projects. And we, uh, we, so we dove in and we, we, we've turned out about 23, 24 songs and going strong. And uh, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it, to me, it's just it's just doing music. It's just playing music. It's play. It's playing with other people. It's creating. Um, you know, I, I'm a I'm a a producer too. I, I produce albums for other people. I'm, right now, I'm producing an album for a Morgantown singer songwriter named Chris Haddix. And I've almost always got one going uh, if I'm not producing something of my own. And um, that's something I, I just love to do because that's. That's being being uh, that's being creative and being around other musicians, and it's helping an uh, an artist bring attention to an artist who deserves attention. And uh, so I just I just want to keep doing that as long as as long as I can. You're doing it all virtually now, I guess. You know, with John being in Baltimore and and Chris being you know yeah. several hours away in in Morgantown. You do a yeah. lot of it on on Zoom, or uh, do you share files back yeah. and forth? How do you make that work? Yeah, John and I, you know, it works amazingly well. John and I have a FaceTime, um, uh, about an hour, hour and a half FaceTime meeting once a week. And then in between, we share uh, uh, audio files and, uh, and, and lyrics and bounce ideas off of each other. 
and uh, it's 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 amazing. I, I mean, writing uh, uh, writing virtually like that is it's 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 just it's all it's almost like being in the same room together. So, you know, with that that now now the uh, the uh, I have uh, uh, a couple of studios that I work work with, but I feel safe. Uh, we we all stay masked and appropriately distanced and and keep keep the numbers down to two or three people. And so I've been able to, to, to push my studio projects along in that way. But uh, most, most of all, it's, it's virtual. All my performances have been virtual. I, I do a music for a unity church every Sunday. Uh, uh, I have a nice little, uh, uh, a little band that, uh, uh, that, that we, we, we get together once, once a week and do our songs and, and, uh, and drop them into the service because they're, they're virtual services at this point. So, yeah, it's a it's a whole new world, and uh, uh, and I can't wait till uh, till, <laughs> till it's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're very adaptable. It's all kind of worked out for yeah. you. But but if things don't work yeah. out, you've always got law school to to fall back on. Oh, yeah, I'm always <laughs> something to fall back on. Right? <laughs> if this music thing doesn't pan out, hey, yeah, Ron yeah, Soul is our true. guest today. Hey, if folks want to find out more about you, where can they do that? Well, you know, I. I uh, they, they, I had a website until recently, and uh, it, I, I, I tuned into it the other day, and it, it had just—they had switched uh, the, 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 the services had switched, and it is gone. Uh-oh. So I'm having to—I'm re- having to recreate my whole website again. Of course, I've got a Facebook page, uh, uh, and uh, uh, if you want to—if you—my albums are are, uh, are are available on all the usual places, and. Uh, uh, you know, Amazon and iTunes and, and so forth. And uh, you can find me on uh, on Spotify and just about any place where you find, find music. But um, uh, yeah, and then of course you can hear the band. Uh, they, they don't often, uh, uh, they don't always introduce me on Mountain Stage, but we're on, uh, we're almost, almost 300 stations now a, a week. Or, That's great. And all over the, all over the country. And, uh, and um, uh, it's a, it's a fabulous show, and if you have if you've never never heard it, you and you're a music lover, you 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 really uh, you really need to correct that as soon as you can because there's some 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 amazing performances every week. Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you, and it's it, and uh, I from uh, somebody who's uh, who, who who survived this and is surviving it. Uh, this this uh, uh, unusual uh, uh, normal that we have this uh, day, uh, you know, I, I've, I've really enjoyed being on with you. And good luck with your podcast. That's my pal Ron Soul from the Mountain Stage Band. Thank you so much for listening wherever you are. Whatever you do, go out and make it a great day. Thank you, Speaker Match, for making the Big Time Talker podcast possible. I'm Burke Allen. Happy holidays, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.